Transdermal is important because it's a much better way to take HRT. So let me show you which one I take. This is rapidly not becoming my morning routine. Can't speak this morning. My morning routine. This is becoming. This is how you use HRT. But anyway, this is called Estradot. It is the patch, so you just tear off this side. And that was TV personality Davina McCall, who's helped normalise talking about the menopause through her documentaries and her campaigning in this area. Over seventy percent of you said you suffered with brain fog. Brain fog is horrific. I mean, when I had it, I couldn't read auto cue. Something weird happened to my eyes. I couldn't. She's led a sea change in the awareness of symptoms such as sleeping problems, headaches and mood disturbances, when previously women may only have known about hot flushes. And this has led to more demand for HRT. But there's a flip side to what's become known as the Davina effect. As demand has risen for HRT, there have been major shortages of certain products. Also, there have been claims that in some cases, hormone therapies are being overprescribed and have the potential to cause real harm to patients. I think there are unrealistic expectations about what testosterone will do, but this is a potent drug. It's not without potential complications if it's used in excessively high doses, and the complications are irreversible. It's, we're talking about um, voice changes, acne, hirsutism, male pattern baldness, clitoromegaly, and I'm also concerned about cardiovascular risk. In this episode of the PJ Pod, we'll talk to two experts in the field who'll give their advice on how best to prescribe HRT and how pharmacists can manage difficult conversations when it comes to shortages. Don't be afraid of asking questions. Just be that nosy person that asks all these questions because that's how you find out all of that backstory and that really does help you sort of make changes to their to the treatment journey and, and the, the patient experience. And actually, if we get it right, it makes a massive difference. I'm research and learning editor Catherine Soule. To walk us through this story, I'm pleased to be joined by a familiar voice on the PJ pod, Julia Robinson. Hi, Julia. Hi, Catherine. You've been reporting a lot on HRT, right? Yeah, it's a topic I've returned to again and again over the past couple of years. So what's the current situation with supplies of HRT? Are shortages still a problem? I think it's fair to say the issue with shortages has lessened somewhat this year compared to previous years. For example, at one point there were shortages across all 30 brands of HRT. However, it hasn't gone away completely. There are still women walking into pharmacies unable to get the HRT they've been prescribed. For instance, at the time of recording, there are still serious shortage protocols in place. Three for Sandrina Estradiol gel, one for Progenova gel, and most recently one for Estradiol 75 microgram patches. So what's changed? People I've spoken to have said that the now disbanded HRT task force did help to improve communication between clinicians, the government and the pharmaceutical industry. As a result, the British Menopause Society now publish a list of shortages on their website. The latest update suggests most products are available, although this doesn't always translate to supply at a wholesaler or even the pharmacy level. So as I said, some women are still struggling to fill their prescriptions. Okay, we'll talk more about that later on. But HRT has hit the headlines for other reasons recently, hasn't it? Yeah, back in December 2022, we published an exclusive news story after we'd been told that patients attending private menopause clinics were being prescribed oestrogen at up to double the recommended dose. And in some cases, they weren't being prescribed a sufficient dose of progesterone alongside to adequately protect the womb lining. 
This sounds very concerning. Can this potentially harm patients? So as I understand it, if you're putting someone on higher doses of estrogen and you're not opposing that properly with the right amount of progesterone, they are at an increased risk of hyperplasia and some types of cancer. I spoke recently with Paula Briggs. She's a consultant in sexual and reproductive health at Liverpool Women's NHS Foundation Trust and also chair of the British Menopause Society. And she gave a more detailed explanation. Randomised clinical trials occur at specific doses. There is safety data associated with those trials. And we don't have any data for women who are using doses outside of those doses used in the clinical trials. So there is an element of risk. For many women, there will be no consequences. But for some women, there will be. And predicting who those women will be is in my opinion, impossible. We are thinking about things like endometrial cancer, but also breast cancer risk. Breast cancer affects, we think about one in seven women. And we are aware that estrogen only HRT is not associated with the same increased risk of breast cancer, but women who are on increasingly high doses of estrogen should ideally have pro rata increases in the amount of progestogen, which will have an impact on breast cancer risk. You reported on this back in December. Has anything been done about it since then? So at the time, the British Menopause Society told us that it was aware of issues regarding the prescribing of private providers and was addressing the matter as a priority. And in early April this year, six leading health bodies, including the BMS, published a joint safety alert about this very issue to reiterate the importance of following the guidance on this. Unfortunately, Paula said she didn't think the situation had really improved since we reported on it in December. That's really disappointing. Yeah, it is. It's definitely good that awareness has been raised around this, but there's a lot more work to be done to investigate why this is happening. Talking of prescribing practices, there are also some concerns about testosterone prescribing for menopause symptoms, aren't there? That's right. So testosterone is licensed for the treatment of low libido in women. So using it for symptoms of menopause is technically off license. However, a recent analysis carried out by the PJ found that testosterone prescribing for women in the UK increased tenfold between 2015 and 2023. Is this another symptom of the Davina effect then? Well, the numbers really seem to suggest so. So the data show that prescribing rates began to rise more steeply in early 2021, when the first of Davina McCall's menopause documentaries was aired on Channel 4, and as general awareness of menopause symptoms was increasing. Then the biggest monthly rise came in May 2022, when McCall's second documentary aired, which included information about testosterone treatment. Is this actually a bad thing, though, if the testosterone helps the symptoms of these women? I think the issue is more that it's led to patients having unrealistic expectations around what testosterone will do. Plus, Paula told me there are some possible side effects to consider. I think it's really important that we stick with guidelines and the reasons that we have guidelines are to ensure patient safety. And it's a biopsychosocial model. If you've got um, a poor relationship with your partner or you've got severe urogenital atrophy, lack of estrogen affecting urogenital tissue quality, having testosterone is not going to have the same impact on libido as it would if all of these things had been assessed prior to being prescribed testosterone, which is outside of its license. Currently, there is no NHS preparation 
So we use, we are using male products out of license and that comes with its own difficulties. There's not a patient appropriate leaflet within the packaging and it's a lot of information to take in during a clinic appointment. So some women accidentally use too much. I think some women use too much because they think it will make them feel better and they may have seen information via social media to suggest that it will make them better but this is a potent drug it's not without potential complications if it's used in excessively high doses and the complications are irreversible it's we're talking about voice changes acne hirsutism male pattern baldness clitoromegaly and i'm also concerned about cardiovascular risk and i feel with regards to testosterone, even in my own hospital, are a little bit out of control. So we're now ensuring that women don't get provided with further prescriptions without having an annual morning testosterone level before they apply the gel so that we know that their level is still within the acceptable range for women. It must still be really difficult to manage patients' expectations, though, especially when they've seen so much positive messaging around a product on TV and social media. Did Paula have any advice about how to do this? So she said the most important thing was to set expectations at the original consultation and to highlight to patients that although prescribers do their very best to tailor the product to the patient, it's not always possible to get it right the first time. However, her main message was that it's most important that prescribers follow the latest available guidance, as that's where the evidence is. Well, that's always good advice. Of course, the most recent development in prescribing of HRT products is the prepayment certificate, which was brought in at the beginning of April. Yeah, of course. Apparently the website crashed on the day of launch because so many women were trying to access it. And I understand over 37,000 women now have a prepayment certificate for HRT. But not everyone's so enthusiastic. The Pharmaceutical Services Negotiating Committee, for example, has criticised the timing of the launch because the right IT infrastructure hasn't yet been put in place. They said this would potentially cause confusion for some patients and add to the burden for pharmacy teams. Why might pharmacy teams be affected? So the Department of Health and Social Care guidance says that if a patient turns up with a mixed prescription, so that's one that contains an HRT product and a non-HRT product, the prescription, unless urgent, should normally be returned to the prescriber so that separate prescriptions can be issued. Basically, HRT and chargeable items can't be dispensed from a single prescription where the patient is claiming exemption from charges because they hold one of these HRT prepayment certificates. I think some of the planned IT was to help automate this process to make it much simpler for pharmacists to deal with. Here's Paula again. It potentially will have an impact on general practice because for women who are on other medication they're going to have to be provided with two separate prescriptions and I also think it will have an impact on pharmacy. I think you go to the pharmacy with your prescription you might wait for 20 minutes for that to be filled if you happen to have all your medication on one prescription but you've recently purchased a prepayment certificate for HRT the pharmacist will not be able to provide you with any of your medication Um, because they need two separate prescriptions. So, you know, this could actually delay access to some medication that is significantly important for health. For example, an antihypertensive, which will reduce the risk of stroke. Well, that sounds like a logistical nightmare. Yeah, she also highlighted that there are some newer products which have recently come to market, such as ospemaphine and prasterone, which aren't included in the prepayment certificate. 
So this will really add to the complexity for pharmacists when it comes to providing women with their preferred HRT regimen. Well, presumably the impact of the prepayment certificate will become clearer in a few months once it's become embedded into everyday practice. Yeah, you would assume so. Thank you, Julia. That's all been really helpful. Thanks, Catherine. As we just heard, shortages of HRT are still an issue. For patients, knowing that you have enough to get through the next week and a half, but you don't know when you're going to get some more and your symptoms might re-emerge, can be really stressful. I wanted to know more about how pharmacists can help women navigate these shortages and in the worst case scenario, switch to a new product. So I spoke with Hayley Berry, a pharmacist who specialises in women's health and is lead learning development pharmacist at the Centre for Pharmacy Postgraduate Education. She also works two days a week at a private menopause clinic where she does face-to-face consultations with patients. I started off by asking her about how switching preparations affects women. Quite a lot of women will be quite worried and anxious about switching on to different preparations because they've tried gel and that hasn't really worked. They've gone onto the spray. They're not happy with that. They've finally got settled on, say, oestradiol patches, which suit them. They absorb well. They're on a stable dose. And then suddenly you can't have those patches. And even switching between different brands of patches can sometimes cause women's symptoms to flare, even if they're the same strength. So I think there is a lot of... um, quite rightly as well a lot of anxiety associated with um switching between preparations and brands and, and like you say either having to reduce the d- dose or going without their, med- their medication for some women Haley emphasized the importance of talking to patients looking for products that are clinically equivalent is obviously important but so is finding out what patients have tried before there's little point prescribing patches if they've tried them before and they didn't work for them the conversation may take a little more time initially but in the long run, it saves time and avoids that trial and error approach. When you're switching between preparations, you may rec- you know, experience a recurrence in symptoms. Your symptoms may fluctuate for that initial few, few weeks. Breast tenderness, bloating, um, stomach cramps like period pain and a little bit of breakthrough bleeding are really common during that first three months as you're switching preparations. Some women won't experience them, but it's just so that they're aware of it if they do. So that it's not a worry for them. Of course, there are some red flag symptoms to be aware of. If it goes beyond that three months with breakthrough bleeding or anything untoward, that would be a, a red flag for me, would be to go, go, you know, get back to your clinic. Anything that goes beyond three months after that initial swap. Or if during that first three months, you know, your symptoms are going backwards, you're feeling really awful, it's, a, a, you know, heavy bleeding, clotting, then get back in touch with your healthcare professional. Haley pointed out that there's a practical consideration that pharmacists need to be mindful of. Women might know how to take or use their current products, but not something new. You know, as a pharmacist, we think it's quite self-explanatory how to use different things, but actually it's really reassuring for people when they come to speak to you. And as a pharmacist in community, you are that, that accessible healthcare professional. So it may be that their surgery or their clinic has switched them onto a different brand. So you're discussing that switch. So, you know, the gel's out of stock, but actually you're using two pumps of gel. So we've we've managed to switch you across to the equivalent of patches, the 50 microgram patch. Explain how to use the new, the new medicine. But as the pharmacist, you know, you're the person that they see and are, are really accessible and are in a really good position to be able to support people with these changes and challenges, really. Part of those challenges is that women have often tried lots of preparations and there's a reason why they're on the one they're on. Again, it pays to take time to listen. They're their expert in their own health. They know exactly all about their menopause journey. And linked to, you know, the out of stocks and the shortages, it's 
we can't just switch from one thing to another because there'll be a backstory of why that person doesn't want to have this other thing potentially. And actually by taking that extra few minutes and listening to that and finding out those details that can save you a lot of time in the long run is something that I've learned from the last you know, couple of years in my current role. So communication is key. Walking into a pharmacy to get something you need and dread doing without and finding out you can't have it can be frustrating. It's just really just letting them know that we've only been able to prescribe three months because of the current stock situation. And it's just really just being open and honest and transparent and explaining why we're only allowed to give three months at the moment because of to manage the supply and to ensure that everyone is has equal access. It's frustrating, isn't it, for the patients when they go to a pharmacy and they can't get what they need. And quite often, I think that that frustration and anger is taken out wrongly on the this, this people in the pharmacy, isn't it? And And that's always stressful I think for a pharmacist definitely. Hayley had one final piece of advice on how pharmacists can support the patient through what can be a very difficult experience. Don't be afraid of asking questions so it's linking back to that speaking to women and finding out about their journey don't be afraid of asking I love it when you're just I'm just the most inquisitive person and asking things and I remember listening to a medic doing a talk linked to menopause and he was just like just be that nosy person that asks all these questions because that's how you find out all of that backstory and that really does help you sort of make changes to their to the treatment journey and and the, the patient experience and ultimately with with menopause it is really about that quality of life and actually if we get it right it makes a massive difference I think that's a really nice place to end this episode. Of course, we'll provide links to the resources mentioned by Hayley, as well as other relevant PJ articles in the show notes. Thank you to Hayley Berry and Paula Briggs for coming on the pod. And of course, thanks to PJ regular Julia Robinson. Please do follow us on whatever podcast platform you use and let us know what you thought of the episode on social media using the hashtag PJPod. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>